0: We can take out in the summer and have fun with, and then we'll have you know other cars for the crappy weather, or we'll just live someplace in the nice weather all the time and then we'll just eliminate that whole situation. Well, there you go. yeah, so all right, I'm gonna go because I'm kind of getting hungry too and uh, righty and thank you for doing the little test with me here and uh pretty exciting certainly. all right yeah,
1: you can put my rants on the podcast.
0: No, I won't do that well, maybe I don't know.
1: Maybe. <laughs> I'm just shocked, I'm just shocked. You even considering a foreign car?
0: Hey, well, uh, you could. Oh, oh, she doesn't like that when you do that. I heard Kaylee there. Yeah, yeah
1: that's because she wants to go outside because she ate, so she
0: wants to go out. Make her speak some more. The the podcasters will love that.
1: Oh, the they podcast will. Podcast
0: listeners will like that. Yeah, make her speak some more.
1: All right, just a second, I'll try.
0: Okay. Kaylee, talk to Daddy. Hey, what?
1: what? Come on. what?
0: again tell her to say welcome to the podcast tell her to say that okay
1: welcome to the podcast ready good girl (laughs) Uh,
0: she's my biggest fan all right all right
1: that's about as much as she's gonna do she's getting confused
0: yeah well it's not hard so all right well have a a nice night and I, i won't buy anything foreign without you know Letting you know first, probably. No,
1: well, yeah. Personally, I don't care. You can.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, little conversation between my wife Lynn and Kaylee and, and myself yesterday over Skype. Uh, but enough about that. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly Trek Sci-Fi podcast about geeky goodness and other things. Today is April the 18th, 2010. This is podcast. 275, and this is Rico, your host. Got a real special and and very interesting uh, podcast for you this week. I interviewed earlier today uh, Star Trek author Michael A. Martin, who has a new book out called Star Trek Online The Needs of the Medi. What (laughs) I stumble across that? Star Trek Online, The Needs of the Many. Yes, it is uh, a great book. I've had a chance to read it, and Mike and I spend about uh, about an hour and a half or so talking about that book and other things uh, about Trek and writing and all kinds of fun stuff. So I know you're going to enjoy this uh, special podcast, uh, so just uh, sit back, relax, and here we go. Michael A. Martin on the phone with us, the author of the the brand-new book. I think it's available now, right, Mike? Uh, Star Trek Online, yeah. the, meet, the Many? Yeah. I've actually able- seen it at the, at the Fred Meyer supermarket the other day. So oh, my goodness. It's in the supermarket, and, and I saw it. You can buy it on Amazon, and, and I'm sure all the usual online places and, and things like Borders, I would imagine it's available, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know Amazon has shipped it because I, I'm already, I've already noticed uh, people are posting –
0: reviews. Good, good. Well, just before we get into that, uh, that subject, specifically that book, I, I was hoping you could give everyone listening to the in the Trexan Sci-Fi audience a little background on yourself and uh, I know we spoke uh, quite a long time ago uh, about another book that you were working on, but uh, just fill everyone in a little bit about what you do to make your money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm uh Writer of uh, and, and co-writer of many Star Trek novels, um, just kind of evolved into it, I guess. Uh, I uh, started off in the comic book industry um, not too long after college.
0: Right, I remember and, you mentioned uh, that before when we we spoke. Right, there's a, a, a quite a bit of comic, you know, that under the gun kind of writing versus versus writing a novel. Although writing a novel, I'm sure a lot of times can be under the gun too.
1: Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm under the gun as we speak. I'm uh, I'm turning in my Titan novel uh, for the Typhon Pack series uh, in uh, eight days.
0: Oh okay, all right. Uh, and then so you've uh, you've settled more into. Do you do any comics anymore? Any comic work or is it pretty much the the novels these days?
1: The novels well, have been keeping me pretty busy. I've been lately. Uh, I've been you know, for, you know for being a recession. I've been pretty busy. Um, I seem to have gone from one. Project to the next. Uh, I guess it just been sort of standing in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I guess people still like to read. You know, a, a, a book is is a, you know it's a pretty good pretty good bang for the buck as far as entertainment and you know the time you can spend reading it. You know, versus other things. I guess I just went to see right, a and movie and the, that the cost the same.
1: Is, uh, you know, the, the trend in the in the, in the Trek uh, uh, section of the bookstores is, is toward you know really really big substantial fat novels
0: Uh uh-huh
1: so uh
0: and a lot of uh, series things too things that that are not just standalone but sort of that run into series like you mentioned the titan book
1: well yeah yes and no because i think uh, we've always tried when we when we've done a series or a series i've been involved in uh, i guess with the possible exception of uh mission gamma with deep Space Nine. Uh, they've all, they've all been very much standalone books in addition to being part of the series.
0: Okay. So I mean, yeah. going
1: all the way back to, uh, section 31, uh, the authors on those books really didn't need to consult with each other very much. In fact, we, I think we probably kind of went out of our way to avoid it. Uh, so we wouldn't pollute one another's, uh, lines of thought. Um, those stories were all very, very freestanding. They were linked more thematically. Mm-hmm. Anything else, which is to say, um, a major Star Trek protagonist has to wrestle with the conundrum of Section Thirty-One. So, okay, so, well, that leaves right. you a lot of room to tell a unique story. You know, you know that's otherwise unique except for having that one feature. That that's, uh, that doesn't limit you very much. So, um, you know, it's different with Mission Gamma, where we were constantly consulting because we were we were braiding together plot threads that, you know, if I blow up a shuttlecraft in uh what did we do, book three? Book two or book three. Um, uh, you know, that's gonna affect the next the next guy down the line.
0: Right, right. Able
1: to do. So uh Yeah, that's a know, fine really
0: line to, to to uh, to walk, you know, when you're doing sort of a, a series, you know, like I would put the Titan books in, in, into that, although the, there were a couple there, I think, that were a little more connected than others, but they're still kind of standalone. Uh, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, may, maybe be a real, um, you know, even just jump in at one of the books. I think you could probably do that, although I think you get a little more out of it if you read that series, at least maybe from the beginning.
1: Well, right, because every character in Titan, and there are a lot of them. Um, yes. they, they have some. They have some kind of a forward mark where you know they're they're coping with something, or you know, you, you cope. Uh, has this ongoing thing of learning to cope with his uh, loss.
0: Right. Exactly. Um,
1: of his of his right. son and uh, daughter in law in the um, Destiny trilogy, and um, so it's a little bit like. Actually, it's a little bit like writing Babylon 5 in that respect. Mm -hmm. uh, There's some some forward motion and evolution in the the characters. But then I guess that's been a feature with a lot of the Star Trek post-series series. series. That is, Mm -hmm. where you're writing about a franchise and characters that uh, the studio is no longer actively developing, and that frees you uh, substantially because you don't have to face that uh, reset button
0: yeah, you know, and, and it's probably you know probably even even more seems to be the case these days because you know now they've they've gone off in this other direction at least with last year's movie, and and it, and it's looking even you know I, I wouldn't close the door I'd never close the door on anything at least in Trek and you know being sci-fi too, but it certainly has made it look like you know the let's just call it the the good old Prime Universe or whatever they refer to it as you know that.
1: Well, yeah, but there's definitely two tracks now.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's,
1: there's the old guard. Uh, I, well, I, I think J.J. J. Abrams made that very clear when he blew up Vulcan. So this isn't you know, this isn't your grandfather's Star Trek anymore, uh, and that was actually kind of liberating for me, you know, as a as a Star Trek author. Yeah, uh, he's, who's essentially, uh, I guess, with the possible exception of uh, the needs of the many, has exclusively worked in the uh, what would you call it, the Roddenberry verse. The, the, the timeline that started in uh, the right. cage and moved forward through uh, yeah,
0: basically all uh, all really you know all the all the movies and television series up until that point. I mean you you've you know all of that history of, and I and I think that you know it was a very wise move. We 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 can talk about that maybe later on, but I wanted to uh, to move a little bit more towards just talking specifically about this book. It's called Star Trek Online, The Needs of the Many. Uh, I, I want to say at first, I, I I've gotten the book, I've read the whole book, and I enjoyed it. The, uh, the thing, though, I want to tell people that are listening at the beginning before we get into talking a little bit more about it would be, this isn't really, you see that title, Star Trek Online, on there. This is not really a book, in, in, in to my view, in, it's not a book about that the, the uh, online game that is out there right now by Cryptic. It really isn't in, in just maybe a minor way. And I wanted you to just start off with telling us, uh, uh, telling people listening, well, how this came about and, and a little bit about the idea for this book, where that came from, where you approached to do this. Uh, how did that all work out?
1: Well, yeah, I was actually the first inkling I even had about this, the, 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 game about uh, Star Trek online was uh, last oh, July or so I uh, my phone rang and it was uh, uh, Margaret Clark who's editing me on uh, on the enterprise books uh, asked me if um, I would uh, do a favor for another editor at Ed Schlesinger there uh, they they uh, needed an author um, just post-haste um, to, to do this tie-in novel for this multiplayer a massively multiplayer online game, role-playing game, uh, called Star Trek Online, and, ooh, tell me more. You know, So that's how I found out about it. And so uh, it sounds as though uh, uh, it, it sort of came up fast, and it surprised everybody. And um, I, I think at about the time I first heard about it, probably, you know, to, to do the production process justice, there probably should have already been a first draft manuscript in somebody's hands by then. But then it was still just uh, well, we have this book uh, commitment. Um, we need to tie-in. What shall it be about? You know, so we were still at the at the vaporware stage at that point.
0: Ah, uh, so and, they, they were almost uh, picking your brain then a little bit in terms of we want a book tied in with that name. Well, it, but, well uh, not
1: quite. It's just no. There, it's just at this point there wasn't a book yet. Okay. Um, but there was there was a there was a, 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 an introductory email from. Uh, from cbs from from john van fitters has always been very helpful um licensing guy Uh, and he had he had the the basic conceit in his head already about the novel that the that it would be a war memoir because it's one of the features of of the new continuity for star trek online is that one of the major big bads is the the undine uh which is species 8472 that's the the name by which they call themselves. They don't call themselves by their board designation.
0: Right. So, the ones uh, from Bo- they, Voyager yeah. that we were, that were first seen in Voyager, basically those. Uh, right. Yes. Right. Yeah, Those, they, those were uh, going to be involved in this uh, conflict, and the book was going to focus uh, quite a bit on that. But aspect. looking
1: backward on it from some future word point in twenty fifth century. Right. So. Uh, and I I think John Van Sitter's also had the idea of uh, well let's have Jake Sisko you know conduct uh, interviews, um, and, and so it, it very quickly it, it became uh, sort of Studs Terkel's The Good War you know an oral history of World War Two right but standing in for Studs Terkel is Jake Sisko right um, and an older more seasoned Jake Sisko um, I guess the uh, the Tony Todd Version of Jake
0: Cisco. Yeah, well, it's funny when you when you when you say that because as I was reading the book, that's of course since you know I, I've seen that on Deep Space Nine, that's who would sort of pop into my head. But it was kind of a an amalgam, a little bit of both him and and Lofton, you know, who played him a little bit. Sometimes I would kind of see one of them, and sometimes I'd see the other. It kind of depended on the right. part of the book, but right, it's, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. That's, what, that's kind of what I was picturing too, because yeah, because he's kind of at the midpoint. He's not he's not this ancient old man at this point.
0: He's no, no, not really. No, he's
1: this middle aged guy, and I guess well middle aged in Star Trek years it's like you know if you're sixty, you're middle aged. Um, right. so um,
0: yeah, so, so the, that's
1: him conducting all these interviews, and uh, so he was doing this as a as a, a kind of a living history project for the the Federation Department of Peace. Um, and uh, as he explains in his introduction, because if you notice on the cover, I share a byline with Jake Cisco.
0: Right, exactly. Uh, you know, as, as a yeah, collaborator, as your, your your name and by Michael A. Martin and Jake Cisco. Right. So, w- could you tell me then, were they specifically looking for? Because what it appeared to me by the time I'd finished this book. And and I have played, just so you know, I you know I have played Star Trek Online, not as not as much. Uh, I don't know. I've I've played enough to know the game uh, and and the way what it's all about. But were they specifically looking to, for something to sort of bridge uh, the Star Trek things that had gone on in the series up through you know Voyager and that in that timeline to the point of the timeline that Star Trek Online takes place? Because that's what it looks like you kind of did to a degree. Where you bridge I mean, that history?
1: Bit, well, a little bit specifically, but what I wanted to do first of all, I guess, I wanted to concentrate on what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. What I didn't want it to be was a game manual disguised as a novel, because that just seems to me that's, that's just death. Uh,
0: yes, you know, and just, that's the storytelling
1: not... would be fake, right? And I wanted real. I wanted real stories, and so rather than I mean, once we had the the sort of uh, the Studs turkle conceit in place, then it automatically uh, made it kind of a, an epistolary novel, not a, not a traditional novel with one major through line right. from start to finish, but a bunch of encounters with various people, uh, uh, even portraits, um, character studies, uh, but individuals and their stories, telling their own stories from start to finish. And what links them all together is the theme of... Um, uh, My participation in the war, what the war cost me, what I sacrificed, you know, for the needs of the many, Um, which is where the title came from, is that um, the idea of people having to to work, uh, you know, during times of high stakes struggle, you know, very serious, hard times, uh, having to work for some, towards some purpose that's much larger than themselves. And in this case, you know, it could have been World War II. But in this case, it was some you know twenty fifth, twenty fourth century equivalent of that.
0: So yeah, exactly. And I
1: didn't. I also didn't want to get too too specific because I didn't want to be dictating. You know, just hammering a lot of continuity stakes in the ground that um, that the game developers would then be expected to observe exactly. So I kept it yeah, kind not, of loose.
0: Yeah, not just. And, and
1: I can you know and I yeah. can get away with that by saying well I don't need to get you all you know my readers you're all. You've all lived through these times. You don't need a blow-by-blow account of events. You're already very familiar with, you know, that every school child knows. Right. And and then just go forward with the individual stories.
0: Right. Now I have to ask if during any of this process, while you were, you know, getting getting involved at the start of the book and and what it was going to be all about, and then when you got into the actual writing of it, did you have much contact or? Were you given any information about the the game itself at all or or at least I should say it seems to me you would have oh, I got been... a
1: lot of, yeah I, yeah I got a lot of information uh, I, I had a lot of contact okay very um, uh, particularly with uh, Christine Thompson at uh, uh, Star Trek on live Cryptic.
0: Yeah, you'd obviously oh, would have had, you would obviously would have to know the, the sort of backstory to a degree of what sets up the whole situation that the game takes place in, you know, the time frame right. and what, what's going well, I on. Had the, mm-hmm.
1: I had the Path to 2409, the, the, the appendix in the back of the book. Right. It's kind of an amended version of the Path to 2409 that's been up on Cryptic's website, you know, for, for the months leading up to the release of the game. Uh huh. So um, that, that was a big guide. And then when, whenever I would come to some fork in the road or some ambiguity in in the path of 2409, I uh, you know I contact Christine and and she you know settle it for me. Um, you know, were you ever able?
0: To do the other game. Did it did it seem important I'm or were you ever able to actually uh, test out the game before it even was released in any in any way? Did that seem important or necessary or were you able to get everything you needed really through? You know, email and conversation.
1: Yeah, I think I, I got everything I needed by by either talking on the phone or exchanging emails. Okay. Um, uh, these online games were very seductive, and I didn't want to get. Uh,
0: You're absolutely get, right.
1: <laughs> you only have so much time to get. Yes. Uh, I mean, you, you you really have to uh, marshal your time and your energy. And uh, I've, uh, you know, I'm, my wife and I are raising two. Uh, Relatively young kids, and they take up a lot of time and energy. And yep. I didn't want to to blow any of my limited amount of energy and time, uh, um, uh, you know, going sideways uh, to playing a game.
0: Well, you're definitely definitely <laughs> wise yeah. a wise man on that aspect of things. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've played them a bit. Although I'm I'm what I would consider, from everybody that I talk to, fairly casual. I can go for like a week or a couple of weeks of not even touching one of those games. And then even hop in for an hour or something or an hour or two and play and then just never, you know, don't get back in even for another week or so. So I'm not I'm not your average player of those things. But I do enjoy them when I when I do find that I get an extra few minutes. But there are some people that they do they do suck into, you know, the, you know, you hear a lot of stories of people, you know, they log in after school or after work. And then the next thing they know, it's like, you know, three o'clock in the morning and those kinds of stories. So, yeah probably why my, my wife my
1: wife and both my kids are totally hooked on a disney online game called toontown oh okay. and watching that you know and it, it, you know that's like you know watching watching your alcoholic uncle you know and, oh that's not gonna happen to me you know
0: <laughs> the best the so, best advice is to is uh, yeah if you if you're a fairly busy person and you have your life is pretty full already then you you're better not to ever start really basically because they're they do. They do take a lot of time, and you know that's the that's the idea. But um, getting back more. Well,
1: that's I mean, fine. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like there's like I think there's anything wrong with it. But I mean, I'm oh yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I have X number of days on the cal X number of work days on the calendar to execute this project. I mean, not to be too cold blooded about it, but that's what it comes down to sure. in a in the life of a yep. busy writer. So you make sure that. Uh, I, well, I mean, yesterday I had to. I had to. I need to skip a, a Little League game, you know, to do some work instead.
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's always a balance.
1: You see where the deadline is, and you you figure out how many days and hours it's going to take, and um, you know, you really have to kind of clear other things out. So um, so I didn't uh, – I, I, I guess I, I probably – if I had the time um, and, the, and the energy, I could have been in on some of the beta testing, but it really – wasn't a, a possibility given the realities of my schedule. Uh, right. Because this was, isn't the only
0: project in front of me. I wanted to ask you, okay, so, you know, to give, again, people sort of a, a quick synopsis, The you know, the, the book basically involves, uh, you know, the the character of Jake Cisco going around and interviewing people. Uh, you know, mostly people... Right. That...
1: And as, right, and as Jake explains in the introduction
0: yes. uh, that
1: he uh, supposedly wrote, um, the, the project became so big and unwieldy, he didn't know what to do with it. He kind of shelved it, and he just didn't want to look at it. And, and then he uh, encountered me; he blundered into me, and uh, I asked him if I could, you know, could have a look at the, the raw, uh, the raw footage, as it were, and uh, you know maybe um, winnow it down to a volume or ten. And uh, the right, result sort of, of that the, collaboration they... is this book.
0: Right, the, the the key, you know, what you you know what you had felt were the key players and key moments, and and basically what it turns into then is almost like a uh, uh, a situation where we get to see and, and, and hear in a way when you're reading a book, I guess you sort of are hearing the voices, but you get to uh, have these interviews that he conducts with with you know quite a few of the popular people in the Star Trek universe, Janeway, Seven of Nine, Worf. Derek, you know, uh, and it's 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 pretty nice. And I wanted to say a couple of things about that. First off, I wanted to say, how did you kind of go about picking and choosing who you were going to have him talk to? And the other kind of part of that would be, or more of a compliment in terms of, I I really thought you captured the voices of those different characters. You know, you were having to switch sort of from interview to interview. Here he's interviewing, you know. Captain Janeway, here or Admiral Janeway at the point, or whatever the book, and and then well, it, some of it, go ahead. Sorry,
1: some of it just uh, some of it just kind of presented itself. Uh-huh. It was like they were they were stepping forward to volunteer, and I again I, I wanted to look at the theme of sacrifice and what and and explore what would this war have cost. What you know, what would be the costliest thing? Uh, uh, for, for many of these characters as individuals to have sacrificed.
0: I see. So, okay.
1: So, you know, Jake comes away f- at the end of each interview for kind of figuring out what that thing was for each character, you know, based on what they told him, maybe based on what they didn't feel right about talking about, um, you know, based on what they say, what they didn't say. Um, and so he's able to sort of reason out. You know, for instance, like Worf has this huge cost. Uh, yeah You know, he's grappling with the undying... Uh, so I don't want you know, to spoil it. It's a very costly thing for a warrior to um, to be, uh, you know, to ne- never quite sure of the outcome. I guess. Yes. Yeah.
0: It. Yeah. It's uh Yeah. It's a. That was a great section to the book. I enjoyed that a lot. I I enjoyed several of them. I, I liked. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one that kind of caught my eye for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe because I really like the character, but. I really liked when he was talking to Garrick and uh in that little bit uh, it just I think you really captured what the way that character is and and there's just something about that section of the book that I really enjoyed. I, I don't know. Did you uh did you enjoy writing— I liked Garrick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I had a lot of fun with that. I I have always liked Garrick.
0: And um, and the uh the other, you know, I I should say most of the characters are pretty well known, you slide in some that are a little less known throughout throughout the story i i was kind of uh enjoyed the the whole temporal uh timeline guys you know the opposite oh, right. whatever
1: Luxley <laughs> Lex, and dolmer yeah
0: yeah i enjoyed well,
1: the Luxley and dolmer piece that was my attempt to acknowledge to uh those who you know inevitably there are going to be some people who are longtime readers of of my work and work of others in pocket books. yes you know in the uh the timeline that's been built up post-Nemesis over the last, what, eight years, uh, we're, we're bound to be upset by, you know, what appears to be uh, pocketbooks uh, embarking on a big uh, departure from established continuity. Uh, that technically really isn't what it is at all. It's its just, it's a, it's a different line. It's Star Trek Online. It's established its own continuity. And this book is obliged to be in that continuity rather than, you know the mainline, the run-by-risk continuity that we've been uh, you know, constructing these over these past eight years.
0: Yeah, so it's very complicated uh, when, you, when you start. So, to- so
1: that's set up, but that's set up to to, to acknowledge to those people. Yes, uh, you know, we're aware that there is, you know, there's some additional complexity here too. And I, you know, I hope, you know, I hope people get that for what it is. I mean, on the one hand, it's an acknowledgement of uh, the uh The possibility that humans will evolve enough to you know appreciate that fact in general that uh, you know the universe is uh what as Einstein said is you know not only stranger than we imagine but stranger than we can' imagine
0: exactly but, uh, right
1: but then it sort of made a storyline of uh authors and editors and tie-ins and books and continuity yeah
0: uh, you they, know it, yeah yeah there's
1: multiple strands here and you know, it's okay. We can deal with that. It won't.
0: It, it won't. It, it won't hurt us. Yeah, I don't know. what You know, you've you've talked. To, I'm sure a lot of fans in in different ways over the years and stuff. I mean, I, I tend to be one that you know I can enjoy something like this. And and if there's things that don't quite maybe, completely exactly fit with something else, I can enjoy it for its own sake. I mean, I mean there were discrepancies even when they you know did filming of the series and episodes and you know practically each episode there was some little thing that happened but i mean if you is that really what you're trying to you know i mean it's obviously the large the big things are not you know a big problem but you mentioned like the idea of you know in one book a shuttle is destroyed in the next book and if it's a big factor you got to keep track but you know there is so much out there and this is the same case you know not to spin off into anything too much but Star Wars has the same situation in the books and and things that they write and and you know it's I I don't know who the the, you know there's one person up on high that keeps track of all this in each universe or whatever but I I, I don't know if I'd really want that job. It must well, that's
1: a big be. job. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be as complex as, as uh, Star Trek continuity is by now.
0: Yeah, well, both. And... That's what I meant. There's somebody, you know, somewhere, you know, that, that in each of those sections, and, and there's, you know, even different licenses now uh, related to gaming versus, you know, books. You know, it used to be they just had to deal with okay, there's the TV series, and then there's the books, and then there were movies and the books and the TV series, and now there's games, and you know what I mean? It, it just it becomes right. You know, and then there's comics. You know, you throw comics in there, which is another book form. But that... that oh, right. you know, yeah, when I, was, you know.
1: when I was working at Dark Horse in the mid-'90s, uh, it was everything, comics, novels, everything uh, that was licensed by Lucasfilm for Star Wars, everything counted. It was all it was all canon. So, uh, and, you know, that's 15 years ago. It's got to be uh, probably an order of magnitude more complicated now. Sure. Because you've got the whole trilogy since then and then all the licenses that have uh, come off of that. And, uh, yeah, and I, animated I, series and features and yikes. Yeah.
0: Right. yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I, I think on the whole, I, actually, they do a very good job of it. I mean, it isn't like you know, each time a new book or, or a comic comes out, they just toss everything you know out and they go, "I'm going to do what I want" or whatever. And then I'm just going to say, because it's sci-fi or whatever. Well, this is a, just a different universe. You know, you, you can only pull that card out so many times, in my opinion. Then it, then it becomes well, that's, yeah, that's
1: something that you know you. You get to do that if uh, your DC Comics and there's 50 years of accumulated continuity barnacles on your hull, yeah. and periodically you have sure. to you know scrape them off. Uh, I guess that's inevitable with any franchise when it gets big and complex enough. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I I always did my damnedest to to stick to continuity. Sure. Um, you know, not to you know not to go out of my way to mess up some. You know, stomp on some structure that somebody, some other author has built because I wouldn't want them, somebody else to do that to me if they didn't absolutely have to. But, but you know, there's always errors. I mean, especially early on when we didn't have handy wikis to to consult to keep us. Yeah, great. That,
0: that made me think uh, of another. We
1: had a, a Titan character of uh, Noah Powell, uh, Alyssa Ogawa's child. We created, uh, you know, Marco and Andy and I created him without realizing that. Um, Another author, I'm trying to remember who it was, but another author had uh, created a, a female child for Alyssa Ogawa, and it was in the uh, in another series. Oh, okay. Another trick series, and we we just hadn't happened to have read, we didn't know about it, and and we came up for, with some sort of uh, crazy parallel universe thing to explain it, but uh, yep. the actual truth is so, well.
0: So related just got away from it. related to that idea, how much, or do you depend on either other editors in that? or wikis, like you said, how much other like Trek books and, 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 do you read actually, do you sit down and read them? Do you, or do you depend on sort of synopsis and, and editors to help you?
1: Well, I'll, um, I'll sort of binge read a bunch of stuff if it's, you know, directly relevant, like okay. I made sure I knew, uh, Destiny inside and out.
0: Right. And, okay.
1: uh, you know, several books on either side of that and, and all the Titan books. Right. I mean, because particularly with Titan, you have this huge cast of characters. You really need to know what's going on with everybody, and uh, you know that that's that's one of the big challenges of Titan is to manage that big uh, cast of characters uh, and at least give the illusion that you've given them all sort of an adequate uh, treatment. When in actual fact, you you know you really you have to concentrate on, on poor characters to to a greater extent.
0: Yeah, I've I've uh I've read a good a good chunk of that series. I think up to about book 4 or 5 maybe. Now I'm not sure how many are out. I I think the 4th I've read. But uh yeah, one, one thing that I have a little trouble with in that series is the fact that there is such a large cast of characters and sometimes that gets a little I guess if you haven't like for example, I think I took a break somewhere along when I was reading the series like book 2 or 3. And didn't read the next one for like months later, maybe even a year later. And it was like, oh my gosh, who are all these people again? (laughs) You know, I was like trying, I was hopping online and okay, yeah, that's what that, that guy does this and he looks like, okay. And even though each book kind of reintroduces them to a degree, it it was a little tricky, at least for me personally, because I tend to jump around when I'm reading things. I don't necessarily follow. Okay, now I'll read the next book. I'm not quite that disciplined sometimes, so. Well, this is where you know. This
1: is where I'm really thankful for uh, for uh, Wikipedia and uh, obsessive sure. compulsive disorder. <laughs>
0: yeah, because
1: uh, you know people uh, will, will uh, keep track of this stuff for me. Uh, I mean, to the extent that I mean, I'm I'm shocked sometimes and I'll be I'll be doing a bit of character research and I'll be going from you know one Wikipedia hyperlink to the next, and I'll ultimately end up finding some point of continuity. That came originally out of something I wrote
0: five six years ago. Ah, yeah, I that, that,
1: <laughs> no longer remember.
0: It. At least it, you know, nowadays at least it's there, you know, that you can find, like you said. I mean, I, I don't know how people did it, you know, t- ten twenty years ago when when you know, and there were book series. Trek Trek's had a lot long long history of of novels out there, and I, I, I guess they. uh they counted on people, you know, editors and, and other people that knew, you know, that knew the history pretty well or had taken very good notes somewhere <laughs> and put them down. Well, and
1: there wasn't as much history to, to manage. We sure. had not yeah. had, that would have been before, you know, we had uh, basically two seasons of Deep Space Nine that exist only in the form of novels. Yep. And, uh, you know, anthology stories. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if you can really say it's harder today, though, because you have all these, you know, Internet tools to help you sort of manage it. But uh.
0: Yeah, although although even though sometimes can become like you said, you know, you click a link and you click a link and, the, and it can become just finding the information can become you have to be pretty good with it, let's just say. And I'm sure that you are and you've had enough experience with it. But I, sometimes I think your average person has a little trouble. You know, it, it's like okay, I, you know, it's like handed a dictionary and find this word in it, you know, and how it's spelled. But okay, you kind of have to know basically a little bit about it to find it, if you know what I mean. You know, it's a
1: well, yeah, but a lot of times, a lot of times you'll be, uh, you know, something like memory alpha, and memory beta. They'll help you uh, rediscover something that you half remembered.
0: Yes, yes, and, and
1: it, keep it, it's, you from making an error.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. The um, you know those things I, I can see keep people you know like authors like you kind of have to be i'm sure i don't know how often you get emails from you know a reader that says how could you write this you know this this guy wouldn't do this or back in this you know novel from five or ten years back you know i i I don't know how often i i I, again i'm not that kind of a reader well every every
1: once every once in a while i hear from somebody about uh the good that men do. the enterprise novel where we um Rehabilitated the, uh, the series finale for Enterprise.
0: Right, which, by the way, I read that, I really enjoyed it, and just wanted to say that's a great oh, yeah. movie, at least for me. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot.
1: Well, we had, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll, so get, I'll get an email from somebody that's, that's, that's been out of shape because uh, the continuity that we presented does not match the continuity in uh, uh, William Riker's Holodeck program in the 24th century. And to uh, that I say, well, what you saw was a 24th century holodeck program. You didn't see what happened to Trip Tucker because you never saw Trip in that entire episode. You didn't see Trip, you didn't see Archer, you didn't see Schran, you didn't see any of the stuff that you're saying, uh, whose continuity you're saying I violated. Uh, you didn't see any of it because all you saw were holographic representations, holographic simulacra of those characters. And what if the guy who programmed it had his uh, information wrong? And what right. if his understanding uh, from the 24th century standpoint of 22nd century history is as faulty as my or your understanding of the founding fathers of the United States?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, was I mean, no, it fr- was... there
1: was no friggin' cherry tree. Sorry. Right. But there's just a lot of legend that gets built up over these. Relic, really larger than life figures, even if they actually lived in you know fairly recent memory. We're not yeah. talking about you know going all the way back to uh, you know the crucifixion or something, but just two hundred years and change.
0: Yeah, I, think, I think what they'll get we, into... we have
1: lots of misconceptions about it.
0: Yeah, I, I think what people get a little bit off on sometimes, at least with Trek, is they'll say, "Well, what we saw in the series—that's that's the real." version. You know, even though like you said, this is this was a holographic representation of somebody's who had to program in what they were told and what the history was from what they knew. That doesn't necessarily unless you're there, you saw it with your own eyes, you don't know for sure. So, you know, y- your your version or your ideas for that are just as valid really in that. But they they kind of take what shows up on their TV as kind of like that's greater than any book that's written. You know what I mean? Kind of in a way. Right. Unfortunately, a little. And they can't.
1: Right. And if you're willing to take that at face value, just because it was presented on the screen, I have two words of warning for you. Fox
0: News. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. And (laughs) I, and I, yeah, you know, there was a course I took in college that was on, that was involving things like news and information and media and advertising and there, there was a few times they presented stories that were just, it looked compelling and it looked real, and then it was kind of like, okay, now here are the real facts, and then they brought it up, and it was just, you know, when you see things like that, it just opens your eyes on how much things that are, don't necessarily believe everything you hear or see, so especially right. on TV, stuff, online. You, yeah. can,
1: you can mislead people about stuff that happened last Thursday. Uh, just imagine how much more effectively... You can mislead people about things that have went down 100. the memory hole two hundred years ago.
0: Sure, right, and the uh, yeah, and the other thing that they have to keep in mind is is honestly what it comes down to for those TV shows of Trek. Somebody just wrote that. You know what I mean? There was just a guy just like you that wrote what they wanted to see, and then they filmed it and so forth and so on. So, you know, and, and being science fiction, unlike other dramas where, you know, you can't just you know on a on a show like you know, whatever, a drama like 24, or, you know, Jack Bauer is killed one week. Well, you don't just the next week have him come back, you know, oh no, that was just a parallel universe, Jack Bauer, you know, that, but in, right. in science fiction, they should be, to me, it would seem like they'd be a lot more open-minded for other alternate possibilities to what, you know, this might, you know, happen this way instead of this way. So I right. always have a little trouble understanding people that read and enjoy and watch these kinds of shows being like, they get so like dogmatic sometimes about, no, no, it can't be like that. That wasn't the way it happened, you know? And I'm like, well, come on now. Really? Or how how do you know that? You know, or whatever. I just,
1: Well, I, I think I've persuaded most people who have, who have confronted me with, you know, that accusation that it violated the Trip Tucker continuity and, uh, you know, oh, this was supposed to have been after the Romulan War instead of, you know, leading into the Romulan War um, just by, you know, making that uh, unreliable narrator argument. You know, we're talk, you know, talking about the holodeck programmer as, as the unreliable, yeah. unreliable narrator. Um, and the, the ones that are persuadable, you know, are so rigid in their thinking. It's like, no, it was presented this way, it is before canon. Uh, you know, I just, I kind of refer to those folks as telefans. Um you know they're just not uh not persuadable
0: yeah and, and it, it, uh, it, it the you know the the the, bo- the bottom line of it to me was the vast average reaction that i thought most people had to that final episode like that was like oh my gosh who wrote this and what were they thinking i i, I mean i i've by far and i i have a lot of contact with a lot of trek fans and <laughs> there aren't very many that, that enjoyed what they presented on screen for that last Enterprise episode. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that it's
0: was, like, that, that, come that on. That's
1: planted the seeds of, of uh, the good that men do, because my my reaction to uh, These Are the Voyages, the Was yeah. finale, was uh, appalled. Yeah. Uh, Andy was appalled. Margaret was appalled. Paula, um, uh, Paul, uh, who was at the CBS at the time doing our approvals, was appalled none of us was happy with that story.
0: Yeah, I, think, I think the only one that was... We had, the whole,
1: we had the holographic loophole. We were in a rare position of being able to do something about it.
0: So yeah. We, uh, was, and it it we was, presented
1: that idea and she signed off on it immediately. Yeah, go, go fix it. So we did. Yeah, my, my,
0: my dream is one day would be to have that sort of somehow be, be like uh, actually become the way it really, you know, worked out rather than or some way, somehow, who knows. But uh, stranger things have happened. Hey, I wanted to got a few last things uh that i wanted to ask specifically um about star trek online in writing the needs of them yeah. you obviously have written quite a few trek novels was there anything in this book uh it's kind of a two part question one that uh you found more you know difficult to write it this way this is a little different style of a book well we'll just leave the question at that was there Doing these interviews and with the different people that Jake talks to throughout the the novel, was that was that a little more difficult, maybe, or even a little bit more easy to write a book like that? How, how did how did that go? Well,
1: I, I think some well, I think some aspects of it were easier and some were harder. I mean,
0: in, in one respect, it was harder in that instead of having one story to uh,
1: to carry the reader through from
0: right. This uh, happens, community. then this happens, and then this character does this, and then this character. Right, you're not an ongoing. It jumps around.
1: Right. I wasn't working throughout the volume toward one big finish. What I had was a whole bunch of stories. So I had many arcs. So in that respect, it was a little more challenging because, you know, many stories are supposed to one. And, right. uh, especially, you know, often short fiction can be harder to write than longer fiction. You know, it's like Oscar Wilde said he wrote a long letter to a friend, and he started by, you know, I apologize for writing the length of this letter. He didn't to write your shorter one. Um, you know, there's a selective process in going through and figuring out what do I, what do I skip over, what do I present. Um, yeah. So, but on the other hand, uh, the fact that it was all dialogue and I didn't have to manage as much uh, business uh, that is, uh, you know, stage direction
0: right like okay it was a beautiful sunny day blah 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 that kind of stuff yeah or, I didn't have to yeah
1: yeah I didn't have to I could write it more like a play
0: yes yes
1: or like a, or like a, like a Rolling Stone interview now were there and uh, were there other float.
0: were there other sections like other interviews that you had maybe uh, Jake conduct that you kind of pulled out for some reason either for you know I, I don't yeah, know there
1: were, there were some things that didn't make it into the final cut there uh-huh. was uh there' were, yeah, cause, uh, actually this whole thing isn't just Jake Cisco there's some other
0: yes stuff, right
1: uh, like you know intercepted uh, dispatches from the Klingon High command mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah you have a little from,
1: uh, news organizations
0: right to kind of give um, people a flavor of what's going on kind of in the galaxy at the time and that right,
1: yeah, and you know there was um. Uh, Naomi Wildman writing a letter home, Jake Sisko using it with permission, um, that kind of thing. Uh, there was a... I had a, a sort of a comic sequence with... Uh, it was basically uh, the Klingon version of the Jimmy Kimmel show. Oh, okay. like a late night comic. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> monologuing about whatever the news of the day was, and he was monologuing about... Uh, uh, the
0: the Klingon
1: Empire's uh, eventual victory over the Undine. And, uh, um, yeah, I thought it was
0: pretty funny. Um, now, who, know, ma- who makes those? Uh, who makes those calls Was some of that you pulling it out, or was it your editor, or uh, or how is, that, uh, is I, that?
1: You know, I'm not sure how that happened because we were still adding stuff because we had we had so little time. I mean, this was this book was assembled so quickly. Right. We were. We were adding, I was adding new stuff throughout the production process until we felt like we'd covered all the ground adequately. Um, It wasn't, the usual production process is, you know, I present a first draft and get some notes from my editor. It goes into copy edits. I act on the notes and the copy edit changes during the copy edit phase and then it goes, into the next stage of production where it comes back to me as like galley pages, proof pages, how it's going to look when it's printed up and then I have the last pass through it. This had like two galley passes and um, we were tweaking with it all the way through copy edits and um, I guess, I guess I decided at the last minute that maybe, you know, has been too cute with the Klingon uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel show.
0: Um, yeah, I'm sure they were, you t- know, trying pretty hard to target it getting out is, as, as, you know, fairly. I mean, the game has only been out now like about two months, so I, I would imagine they were trying to target as close to, you know, a little bit after the game was released. Was there, you know, a, was that the idea, you know, to try to get it out around give, give or take a month or two or something of the game's release? Really- well, there,
1: there was a there was a hardwired release date. I mean, both for the game which was like what February 1st or 2nd
0: yeah early and, february and right Bush,
1: which was March 30th so okay. those were those were etched in stone by okay. the time by the time I knew about this project
0: uh so they were they were still they were never trying to shoot for having it come out like on the same day as the game or anything like that they weren't trying to push it that hard and and say uh,
1: at least if, if they were they 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 weren't planning it that way since uh since I came onto the project. It was as far as I know it was always uh early February for the game and late March for the book.
0: Was this probably about one uh, of I don't the, know what the rest Was this be. one of the quicker times than you've had to put together a book like this? Or is this uh yeah, I don't know break, probably, break your record of shortest <laughs> time of writing?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe because it usually um I mean usually the uh this is the first time ever that I had a whole manuscript turned in before the contracts department had time to process the contract and pay the first cut from the, from oh, the
0: Wow! Advance. Wow! Okay, so you were that's are, never like...
1: happened before.
0: Wow! You were ahead of the lawyers and stuff, or whatever. <laughs> the...
1: I was ahead of the lawyers. Yeah. 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 Um, usually, I mean, usually, uh, like a lot of times it'll be set up so you, you know, you get a slice of it. Uh, you know, a few weeks after you sign the contract and. And you're still, you're still working on the outline at that phase. Okay. Um, but this, I, I had I had rammed through the outline phase by just kind of sending an email out saying, these are the characters I want to interview, and this is the basic, you know, stuff they're, they're going to cover. And, um, you know, very, very short outline-wise.
0: Yeah, you, you didn't really have um, the... I knew you...
1: what I wanted, but it was just enough to give them an idea of what it is. And they said, yeah, go, go write it. You know, time's wasting, tick time.
0: Yeah, you didn't so, really have the luxury uh, of... Of waiting around and saying, Okay, I'm gonna wait wait till the contract everything is all solid and sealed and all that before I'm going to start like, you know I was going to say paper to pen, but I imagine it's more like fingers to keyboard or whatever. But Right.
1: You know, that no, would have given you like a week
0: change. a week to write
1: <laughs> you would have Yeah, been, no, it never would've worked. It never would have worked. I had to just get get out ahead of it and uh and then just just send it. Here's what I'm doing, guys.
0: Let me know if there's a problem. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm running with it, you know, just run with it. Yeah. So, well, I, like I said, I, I mean, you know, we can... There's a couple last things I wanted to cover, but uh, I enjoyed the book a lot. I, I, I found it kind of, uh, uh, you know, I've read a lot of Trek novels over the years, and it was kind of a nice kind of change of pace. You know, the, this interview-style situation and getting a lot of characters in there that I, you know, from the Trek universe... Uh, again, I again I enjoyed it quite a bit. I wouldn't even, you know, mind something like this either as a follow-up or 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 something else in this kind of a style. I, I I don't know. I just found it kind of refreshing. It it didn't have you didn't need to know a huge amount of, you know, like an ongoing like a Titan series or something like that. There was
1: Well, right. It was yeah, just a, mean, fun, every, every a fun a fun
0: read. Book, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, every Star Trek book every Star Trek book is somebody's first. And, you know, I try to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, there there is somebody that's probably for the first time, and, and you, you know, it, it might even be more the case with this one now that I think, because you know, you could be people playing the Star Trek online game that that are not really into Trek as much as you know others are, and and maybe never have picked up a Trek novel of, of any kind.
1: Well, that's right, right, and that is my that is my surmise, and that is my hope uh, that. Uh, the I mean we know that the audience for uh, these massively multiplayer online games is
0: massive, <laughs>
1: probably well, at least an order of magnitude bigger than the audience for like a mass market paperback. So I mean if a small fraction of of that audience picks up this book, uh, that's that's a nice that's a nice pile. Yeah, yeah that's a big and number.
0: I, and like I said, I, I, I hope it works out that way. You know, like I said, there's there's um... There's definitely a lot of fun. It's just a nice, a nice read. The thing I liked a lot about it is, most of the times, what I could do is at lunch at work, I'd, I'd read an interview, which more or less amounts to a chapter of the book. You know, I could read one of the new interviews. You know, Jake's talking to Picard or whoever. You know, I could, I could cover that and then jump right in. You know, the next day, and I wouldn't. You know, it was a good, good pace to read it at and that. So uh, yeah, it was, it was and good. I guess- Technically,
1: technically, this is this book is set in the same continuity that uh, the Abrams Star Trek movies grew out of. Yeah. Because
0: well, in a way, they
1: talk, you know, during the the Jordy LaForge interview, you know, we we see the uh, design for the jellyfish on the wall.
0: Yeah, there's references, underneath. right, there's references to things, you you reference things that uh, that are brought up. Well, I reference yeah.
1: Captain Data, yep. who is, he appears in the, the comic book, IDW comic book prequel to to Abram's Star Trek. Yes. But he appears without any real explanation of how, you know, how it happened, other than, you know, we know that's before with Data's personality, but, you know, how that happened and... You know what the drama surrounding that we don't know anything about until you see seen Charlie LaForge's interview um so was very continuity sort of yeah, yeah it was i'm i'm hoping to, I'm I hoping think. to get to I'm sorry,
0: yeah, it was a good way to tie things in in like that 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 probably in, in other books would have been hard to maybe cover you know what I mean you can only. Most, most of the books that are out there, you know, most of the Trek books, even though they're, they're going to just be in small, some small little time frame and piece, really, unless, unless there's something large in scope. But you know what I mean? It's not going to cover. Yeah. You were able to jump around a bit, which gave you some freedom in a way.
1: Right. I'm, I'm hoping to persuade Pocket to uh, actually let me develop that story of uh, you know, Jordy, uh working to bring data back as a full novel. I guess sort of the way David Mack's uh, um, novella about uh, Mirror Universe, the way you know, he was able to expand that into a big novel.
0: Yeah, I think that would be, I think that's definitely something people, Trek fans would like to see. I mean, everything that happened towards the end of Nemesis and Data, you know, sacrificing himself and B4 and all that. I mean, there's, like I said earlier when we first were talking about, you know, that that part of Trek except for book form, there's nobody else, and maybe comics too, but no, there's, you know, there isn't really going to be anything more on either probably on TV or in the movies in any time in the near future about that, so it's up to you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I, that's Which is I kind have. of
1: both, uh, know, it, it's it, good. In the meantime, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Now I was just going to say, that's kind of a nice thing for you guys, in a way, you know, you don't have to be now quite as much concerned with Maybe tripping, or maybe it gives you a little more freedom over, like let's just say they they were going to do another Trek series, and it was going to take place, you know, pretty much after Nemesis, more or less. I mean, you then you guys would start to have some conflicts possibly about what right. may have what you either have written up till this point or what you may be writing. But the likelihood of that, I don't, I don't really see that happening at all.
1: I've heard no talk about that. Everything I everything I hear. Sounds like a continuation of um, last year's movie.
0: Yeah.
1: So great. Uh, great. I, think, great. I, I, I
0: think mean, we'll great on, on, on a
1: bunch of levels. Yeah. I mean, for one, on the one selfish level, it's great because I I can anticipate no big you know continuity conflicts, and uh, on, a, on a more general level, you know whatever whatever little nits you know we older fans you uh, know, we graybeards might, might, uh, have to pick with, uh, you know, whether they, um, you know, whether blowing up Vulcan was too big a departure from continuity or not, whatever it, it's, it's made Star Trek relevant again to younger, to younger audiences.
0: Oh yeah. My kids, and, uh, who were never really into, I
1: mean,
0: you... never into yeah. Trek, you know, my kids, my kids really enjoyed the movie, you know, more than they ever had of any of the other stuff. So, uh, so that just shows that he, you know, they kind of, they kind of did the right thing, at least if you want to keep the, keep the franchise going, and and that, you know, you have to make some, sometimes some drastic changes. So.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, well, I mean, we'll see what they go going forward. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can obviously see, uh, the, the, Starfleet is going to have to be on a more, uh, I don't want to say paranoid, but a little more wary military footing rather than, uh, you know, always extending the open hand in the olive branch, you know, as uh, they were trying to, that was their mandate with the five-year mission, you know, in TOS. But uh, as long as they don't let that kind of overwhelm the the ethos of the show.
0: Yeah, um, and, and I think they yeah, handled they it keep, pretty well. They the can keep
1: it relevant while right. also keeping it stark
0: Yes, I don't think we want to see it turn into. Uh, even though I enjoyed the series a lot, I don't think we want to see it turn into Battlestar Galactica. You know, I enjoy. Yeah. I enjoyed that series a lot. I love Ron Moore. I mean, I heard a rumor the other day, even or not a, you know, there's so much stuff on the internet these, you know, about this, but there was a little chitter chatter of Ron Moore possibly coming back in some fashion and, and being, you know. They threw a question at him in an interview. I think is all it really was. Would you be interested in doing another Star Trek TV series? You know, Ron Moore from Battlestar Galactica. You know, kind of got to start writing on TNG, and it, you know, right. he he gave the usual, you know, very good answer of you yeah, know I wouldn't be opposed to it or whatever. I I really enjoyed working on Star Trek and I love it and you know, but it's um, somebody's
1: always going to interpret that as hey, there's going to be a new Star Trek series.
0: Yeah, it's going to be called Trek Galactica and he's, yeah, going, to, it's he's coming, going to turn Kirk into problem. a girl and, you know, or whatever. But, uh, you know, there's always people that will run with that stuff. Hey, I wanted to ask just a couple. I don't want to keep you too much more. The uh one thing I wanted to just, I always try to say is, uh, what what are you working on right now related to either? Right
1: now, yeah, right now I'm finishing uh, my Typhoon Pack novel, a USS Titan novel. Okay. It involves the Gorn, the Typhoon Pack being... uh A number of uh, federation adversary uh, galactic states that have uh, confederated together themselves.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, As you've seen
1: in, uh, I I think it was in Keith DeCandido's, oh man, the title's escaping me. Uh, Book that came out right after the Destiny trilogy from David Mack, Uh, the A Singular Destiny.
0: Okay. And that's when.
1: The Federation President, the Federation Council learned that uh, these five states were coming together in the same way as the five founding states of the Federation did a couple of centuries before. And um, one of those, well, each each volume in the Typhon Pact deals with a different one of the uh, one or one or two of those of those uh, galactic uh, powers. And uh, mine deals with the Gorn. And it's coming out in November.
0: Um, yeah, and you had some things to say. It. You had some interesting things, if I remember right, so, to say about the Gorn in in your book as well. In the in the one we've been mostly talking about, the Star Trek Online book, I, I remember.
1: Yeah, there's actually the, there's a there's a baseball story.
0: Yes. That's, yes, uh, that's what that's it was, right? For,
1: yeah, where, it's uh, where he's talking to it, his
0: stepmother. Where Jake's talking to uh, Cassidy, right? Right,
1: right. And uh, I also a little little fact i reveal in there is that so uh, one of the stories in jake Sisko's collected stories is called the gorns of summer and it's it's a fictionalized account of this event that they're talking about
0: yeah it's, that was uh, a, that was a fun part moment. i like i like that a lot <laughs> have you, uh, are, you are you interested or have you been working on anything non-trek in, in either sci-fi or anything else like that or is that bug in your head or are you busy too busy with trek
1: i have i have something that was well, see. Um, well, once I put the typhoon back, Typhon back book to bed, uh, I'm I'm gonna start commencing on the. Yeah, uh, so, that's redundant. I'm gonna I'm gonna going on uh, this thing I just signed up for, um, with Pocket uh, second volume of the Romulan War, and while I'm doing that, I have something original that I'm I'm planning on being involved with. Oh, great! Uh, in addition to that, all, all, all summer. Um, but yeah, all summer I'm going to be basically working on these two things: uh, the second uh, Romulan War book and this other thing that I don't want
0: to say too much about yet because uh,
1: I don't want to <laughs> I want to
0: jinx it. Yeah, that's but, fine. Uh, that's fine. I, I'm guessing it, but, but you said it, it's your own work, and and it's I'm guessing it's science fiction related. It would be yeah, found in that of part of the uh, book bookstore. <laughs> if you were going to put it in the bookstore, it would be found in that area of the bookstore, the sci-fi. Yeah,
1: so, well, so far the way it's evolved is uh, I'm, I'm looking at a sort of a YA audience, okay, uh, young adult audience, um, and um, I guess I'm, I'm writing a little bit with my kids in mind.
0: Ah, okay, good, good. Do, do you? Um, I was, All I'll say
1: about it is that it involves it involves, uh, it involves uh, young characters discovering the world for the first time, encountering zombies.
0: Ah, all right. <laughs> I, w- I won't ask any more. The, the thing I was going to say, though, that popped in my head when you were talking about that, do you tend to work on more than one project at the same time? Is that how you tend to end up working, either by, I don't know, by design or by default? or.
1: Well, I mean, if I had my druthers, I would just be completely immersed in one project okay. at all times.
0: Do finish that, it and yeah. then
1: get completely immersed in the next one and the next and the next and the next. But there's, Never really there's always a degree of overlap. I mean, that's just yeah. the reality of, of uh, just functioning as a freelancer. Um, you know, when you're when you have all cylinders firing, you're proposing something to somebody at the same time. You're, you know, kind of cooking up an outline for somebody else who's accepted sure. a proposal, and you're doing a manuscript for somebody who has already approved an outline. Right. Yeah. So and at that point, you know, all the burners on your stovetop or, uh, you know, on your range are, uh, are, are cooking and, uh, uh there, there's not a heck of a lot more room than that. Um,
0: well, that's good. Then. So, you know, that's, that's good. That means you know, yeah. so, you know, you know you're busy.
1: Your bank account, your bank account wants you to, uh, you know, pushes you toward that. As, uh, you know, as I jokingly refer to, uh, this book that was just released is uh, Star Trek Online: The Needs of the Mortgage Company.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's it's just the you know the way things are, and and it's a fast-paced world, you know, these days. It's you know, I I, I think just about everybody, the, you know, whatever your job might be these days, are I don't think anyone really has the luxury of like, okay, leave me alone. I'm going to work at this quietly for the next you know two months or whatever, and then I'm going to work on something else. It really doesn't happen that way. It's it's just not the way of the world. And uh, and, and, and you know, well, it's
1: certainly not in, not in uh, you know work for hire, tie-in fiction. Uh, yep. You have uh, there's a there's a built-in uh, there's a ticking time bomb attached to each of these projects. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So the you know your job, uh, reporter, is to use it for the deadline. <laughs> Turn yeah. in the manuscript and. Uh, um you trying to keep everybody
0: happy well, that's good though uh, yeah it would be
1: it would be wonderful to have the luxury of just uh you know I'm just gonna grow my beard out, go off to a, a a cabin up in Canada somewhere and spend five years writing the great American novel
0: <laughs> right yeah uh, I can see the, that there's uh, also a plus though to to a degree of, of of bouncing between a couple of projects. I mean, you don't want to be too overwhelmed, but if you have a few things working the same way i i could see you know going off and working on something for a few days and then coming back to the other thing can kind of it can kind of refresh you a little bit you know what i mean you're using yeah exactly you know
1: there's a dynamo effect
0: yeah yeah and something you may pick up on even in one thing you're doing and and, you know you you can maybe use that or do something with that in the other i mean i i could see that it's it's kind of like not eating the same thing for dinner every night or whatever i mean you know right there, there's a plus. Well I mean I
1: mean it I made mean, it sound like it's doing nothing right now but working on the Thomas Bob but I've also been researching
0: the Enterprise book.
1: And uh, Right. Uh, right. With with some help from my eleven year old son who's uh, every evening watching uh, episodes of Enterprise with
0: me. I think some people sometimes and 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 I know just from what I do in podcasting and and other things that I think sometimes people might think of a book writer, you know, an author that they just sit down, they open up, you know You know Microsoft Word or whatever they're using, and they sit down there and they start typing. You know what I mean? It's like, especially with Trek. I I, I mean, you probably have more research and notes almost. Must you must spend as much time doing all of that with some of the work as you do is actually, you know, fingers are clicking the keys and writing writing it. Well,
1: you're kind of constantly doing research almost without thinking about it. You're just kind of you know picking up. You know, your brain is just just got this Velcro surface, and you're, you're just picking stuff up. and uh, But you don't really count that as your writing time. Yeah. That's just happening all the time while I'm wandering around in a fog, and uh, my wife sees the signs, you know, I'm bumping into stuff, and she's got to pin my mittens to my coat, because I'm <laughs> sort of only half there. Um, and uh, I guess the time I really count as work time is when... You know, your butt's in the chair, and
0: you're actually, you know, banging on the heat. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, I could talk to you for a long time, but again, I don't want to keep you too much. But I, I have this, uh, and I mentioned this before we started, I think, but there's this little, uh, and I don't know if I did this last time when I talked to you and Andy, uh, but uh, this is sort of a little, I got five little kind of quest, questions Trek-related that I wanted to shoot by you, and then we'll just kind of wrap this up. Yeah. yeah that'll work. Okay. Um. All right, Mike. What? <laughs> Which of uh, the Trek series would you say is your favorite?
1: Probably Deep Space Nine. Okay. Overall.
0: You like the characters uh, although, and the interaction you know, and the story arc? Uh, it's hard, you
1: know, it's, it's 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 kind of a photo finish between DS Nine and TOS. Okay. Um. But imagine if I hadn't grown up with TLS, you know, looking back on it retrospectively, um, so again, I've read that and, um, I think Maybe if I hadn't been exposed to it at such a young age, uh, there might be elements of it that it, you know might think are silly.
0: Yeah, um, I, I know exactly. But, I, but I
1: think of, I think of all the series, the reality level was was at its finest grain with ds 9 Right. Um, so just somehow the reality level seemed much higher. Okay. Um, maybe it was because not everybody that you encountered was starfleet. There, there was the same degree of sort of diversity of walks of life that you had in ordinary life. There were people who were just, you know, trying to pay their rent. You know, uh, run a business.
0: Mm-hmm. And they um, didn't all get along so well either. You know.
1: And they didn't all get along. Yeah, and you know, and unlike TNG, they didn't. They didn't all sound like uh, college professors. Yeah. Uh, you had people with, you know, uh, high levels of education and people not so much. Um, it was much more like the real world.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so that, that's probably why. I mean, it was just, it was. I guess it was much easier for them to sell me that reality. Okay. Um, and, and also probably because of the uh, economics. There, there really seemed to be economic forces working, and that's one thing that about Star Trek, if I have one, you know, sort of general... Um, niche
0: to pick. If I were to take one niche with the whole concept, is there's no it, e- no.
1: It, it, it's, well, it, it's not that you know I'm I'm incredulous about the phasers or
0: transporters
1: or whatever. It's just like the, just e- economics. Yeah.
0: Um, well, you know what they say. There's no money in the future. Everybody just gets what they want, huh? <laughs> yeah, that is a little tricky to to uh, to work out the economics of that. How about the? Uh, yeah, it's
1: much easier to 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 you know to play fast and loose with the physics and believe it faster than light travel and whatever.
0: Then there isn't somebody who really, really like is a quirk and wants to make a buck off of Yeah. 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 Exactly. So hence
1: the the higher reality level. I think.
0: Yeah. All right. How about this question? How about would you you know? And again, these sometimes can be difficult to answer, and you could change your mind after we are even done recording. But what would you say out of out of all the Trek? characters which one is kind of maybe your kind of little favorite to write uh, in, in uh, everything that you've done for for all the trek novels Wh- which one do you enjoy seem to enjoy writing a lot
1: hmm.
0: I knew that one might be a little more difficult because I'm sure they all have their ups and downs but and I tried to write well, into, I tried to say the question more not necessarily which is your favorite character but which one do you enjoy Seem to enjoy writing the most.
1: Yeah, but it's hard to say I always find something different to enjoy.
0: Okay.
1: About because there's there's always one aspect.
0: Any couple that and spring to mind or something that uh, I mean, you've written a lot of the Titan. You know, is is Riker somebody that you like writing or?
1: Well, I I enjoy writing Riker, but I, I think the first one that leaps to mind right right now is uh, Jonathan Archer. Ah, okay. Uh, maybe partly it's because we're taking him into uh, unrecorded territory, you know, in terms of history, and uh, we've been taking him, you know, thanks to the events in the Kobayashi Maru and and in the first volume of the Romulan War, into uh, uh, some serious uh, self-evaluation.
0: Good. Uh, good. Yeah, he yeah, was a he good care. He's come
1: to really doubt himself uh, you know since his failure to save the Kobayashi Maru and it didn't help that you know losing Travis was was a big blow to him, you know, having Travis uh, transfer.
0: Uh-huh. Right. You know,
1: Travis just decided he couldn't serve under Archer after that. He just, you should have found a way to save that ship. Yeah. And Archer doesn't disagree with that. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's had, it's had a real effect on him. He's going to have, uh, he's going to have quite an arc ahead of him because, uh, you know, looking at the notes that, uh, Mike Sussman wrote about his, his bio for you know, future years, uh, there was all this stuff that, uh, that he wrote for the for the Mirror Universe episodes of Enterprise, for, uh, in,
0: okay. In a Mirror
1: Darkness, um, he's you know he's destined to become the I think it's the fifth president of the Federation. Yeah, you know, he's got a cool arc ahead of him. Yes. So I, you know, I, I I'm not done bringing him low yet.
0: Okay. Um, Good.
1: He's got to to he's got a, to kind of a hit a bottom, but you know I mean, when he gets through all that. Um, he has this great destiny ahead of him and um, I just think that's great fun you don't often get an opportunity uh, to deal with the character of his life as a kind of scope you know that, that crosses the cusp of, of, uh, of you know huge historical changes That you know, the transition from from five squabbling states to the United Federation of planets
0: right yeah he's definitely at a, at a turning point in, in his instrumental in it anyway. So, uh, yeah, I can yeah. see uh, definitely, you know, there's a lot there that you can work with. Um,
1: I th- yeah, if I, if I get my way, he's, he's going to be... I, I mean... It, it's, it's like I mean, the, the, the life of John Adams or somebody like
0: that. Uh-huh. So, uh... <laughs> Next, anyway. uh, the... Uh, I think you already kind of answered this, but I'll, I'll, I'll narrow the question down a little bit. I was going to ask you what was the first, um, first your first experience or first Star Trek that you you saw, and I, and it sounds like TOS. How about the uh, yeah? I could I could say a, a sort of a follow up. Do you happen to ever or recall the episode that you saw the first? Episode, maybe you ever saw, or is that is that too much of a... I
1: think the I think the first the first one I remember seeing was our, our house in the San Fernando Valley, and I, uh, I I know now that it was Return of the Archons because uh, okay there was that scene in the uh, on, you know shot on the back line with the, um, with Kirk and his landing party dressed in period clothes
0: yeah and the
1: uh, the natives uh, freaking out and yelling about the red hour.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: yeah. that's not, that's and then, not a, and then, then they pull out ray guns <laughs> and shoot these people, like, wow, it's so i kind of hooked from the, you know,
0: the, yeah, of that, that's, the, that, the that's, that's freaking uh, out of ray guns. That's probably not one of Star Trek's most shining episodes either, too, overall, but uh, I think the first one that I ever saw was Tomorrow is Yesterday. I always remember the whole, like, opening of that episode with the little jet, you know, the, the. The Air Force jet taken yeah. off, yeah, and then and then all of a sudden it's flying and flying and then, oh, there's a spaceship up in the sky. What the heck? Yeah, that that's at least in my mind always been the first bit of trek I think I remember ever seeing in reruns when I was growing up. So um the next one I had for you, which of the uh which of the movies is your favorite? Well, of course. If you said anything else, well, I don't think I'd ever be able to, to talk <laughs> to you.
1: I guess that's too easy. That's like saying... Uh,
0: how about this? Then we'll say, all right, after, how about... What was the best day of your life?
1: And you don't get to say uh, when, when, when your kids were
0: born. Yeah, how, that's how that's about then easy. we'll we'll do this then. How about after Wrath of Khan, what would be your favorite of the others?
1: After Wrath of Khan, it would probably be The Voyage Home.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of people that enjoy that. I, I don't know what I'd answer, actually. That That's a tricky one for me. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed last summer's, you know, last spring's movie, but I. I don't think well, I. Well, it that makes it makes for two. a strange
1: trilogy. It makes for a strange trilogy because the. Uh, yeah. The um, the middle part of it. A lot of problems with.
0: The search for Spock one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just that yeah. whole uh, there are forces man was not meant to tamper with thing that, that bothered me a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I could see what you mean, but. Um, and then uh, the last thing, and I, maybe you kind of already answered this one, but the last thing I was just going to say: which of the, which of the captains that we've seen over the various series, which one? Who is your favorite? Maybe it's not Archer, since you, even though you said you enjoy writing for him, who would be your favorite? Oh, my fa-
1: favorite captain has got to be James T. Kirk.
0: All right, there we go, there we go. Wrath of con, James T. Kirk, yeah, my kind of guy. All right.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, you got to love the guy for in 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 one scene, in wink of an eye, he's he's uh, he's just kind of making cow eyes at Dila, and then commercial, and then back in the commercial, he's pulling his boot back on. Yep. You know. Yeah. That's that's a starship captain.
0: Yep, exactly. So, oh, how did you, how did you think that they did in in reinterpreting him last year in the movie? What what did you think about Chris Pine? Uh, that's his name, right? Chris Pine. I don't know why I'm asking. Yeah. There. How'd you think he did in terms of kind of doing Kirk? I like I like his
1: performance. I like I like his performance. I, yeah. like, I, like his performance. I liked I like the fact that he wasn't uh, you know channeling Shatner, or, uh, right, or mimicking. Me.
0: Yeah, but there was still I but I he, thought it he, was good. He
1: captured that kind of uh, that brashness where uh, I guess you know it reminded me a lot of Diane Carey's uh, Best Destiny, where I mean her take on Kirk was uh, this kid is gonna be. He's either going going to be um, uh, in prison, or he's going to be president. There's no middle ground for him.
0: Right. Right. And, and in in a way, they kind of in a way covered that in the movie, where there was sort of the turning point where you know he's in the bar fight, and Pike comes in and said, you know, you can kind of keep going down this path, which probably would have put you in prison or something, or you can you can you know try for something greater or whatever. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that they did a great job with, with the little bit, you know, that they could slip into a two-hour movie. For people that know Trek and I think are the fans, I, I think they did a good job. I mean, I, I really do. And there's, again, like we've talked about a little bit over the last hour or so, there, you know, you can pick certain things apart if you want. But that uh, I, I just think that when they do things like that, to me, everything else, I can just sort of go, doesn't matter. You know, you guys, you you got the essence in there that you needed to put in, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Hey, uh, I, this was great. I, I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. I, again, I, I could just, this is the kind of stuff that I could talk about for a long time, and uh, I just want to again say Star Trek Online, The Needs of the Many, uh, Mike Lay. Martin's new Star Trek novel in everywhere, even in food stores. Wherever, <laughs> wherever
1: fine paperbacks are sold.
0: Wherever they're sold, and uh I didn't even notice on Amazon, do you have a Kindle edition, even, electronic version, or, or not? Or is that something you've... Uh, I,
1: I think there's Kindle editions for most of these.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking yeah, at... matter of fact, there's even... Hold it up now. There's
1: even uh, some... Uh, there's something called Iceberg Reader on uh, on the uh, iPhone.
0: Oh, okay. It
1: uh, has some... Uh, Kobayashi Maru's available. Now how does Not that format. work? I, I don't want
0: to keep you again. I, I keep saying that, but is that something that do you have any like say in that at all? How does that how does that work nope. for an author? Is that just something that the other people out there, you know, whoever your publisher is, they they deal with that and in order for you to actually work for them? Yeah, if
1: I own if I if I owned the copyright, I would have say on it, but the, these are um Ah, PDF, because it's
0: so. a star trek property so with this right. maybe new work that you're working on that's going to be your property you will get to make those calls and those decisions about you know what versions to have available blah 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 and all that that's that's oh, how. Yeah. okay all right what do you think about the whole electronic side of things as, a, as an author is it uh you is it thumbs up thumbs down uh you get you more you know it's, whatever. How it's however very it's very exciting uh, yeah
1: i, uh, I think it's Potential. you can see now that uh, uh there you know there's software becoming available that will enable authors to create their own Kindle editions
0: ah which allows That's you to sort of so bypass could, the whole
1: you, <laughs> publisher
0: <well, laughs>
1: self uh, yeah potentially I mean potentially you could you could see a real cottage industry,
0: yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, uh, I I like that idea. I mean, you know, it's gone that way with a lot of things, you know, with the Internet and people producing their own content of, of, you know, various different kinds, audio or or video and everything. And just you don't need big time tools or expensive things anymore. So if uh, I'm sure book publishers are a little concerned about that to a degree, but, uh, you know.
1: Well, but you know the the, uh, the the split between author and publisher is is changing when you know when you're looking at the, the electronic venue, okay? Uh, because the uh, the the economics are different. You don't have a physical book to yeah. print and bind and put on a truck and ship across the country.
0: Yeah, I have a little um, bit of a, my, that changes it. my personal issue with it is, and I'm a, you know, I'm a techie kind of guy. We were talking before we started a little bit about that, but, you know, I'm looking at this on your, on this website, Kindle edition, book edition costs $7.99, Kindle edition $7.99. I have a little trouble. Well,
1: with see, that's another, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing the industry is going to have to, to figure out what is the level that the market will bear. Will people pay, uh... You know, for for an electronic edition, what they pay for a dead tree edition, and yeah. I'm kind of I'm biased, obviously toward a lower price for that, but a more favorable split in in terms of the you know author participation.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, However, you know, it's worked out, but I. But maybe
1: I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the uh, I mean or about the retail price. Maybe you know maybe people will see the value in um, you know paying the same for books that they don't have to. They don't have to manage a physical copy. They don't have to find a space on the shelf for a physical copy. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I can um, see that. I, I, there's just still, to me, something a little bit, you know, it, it, it's data, it's electronic versus, you know, you're actually, there's some place, some plant somewhere that's churning out pages that are all hooked together into a book form. You know, like you said, the Dead Tree edition versus an electronic edition, I, I just... I just have a personal problem with there's there's no way that really should be the same cost to the end, end customer. It it just seems doesn't seem quite right to me. It was a dollar to us, yeah.
1: I have the same I have the same bias,
0: but you know
1: I mean I acknowledge that it is a bias. Yeah. We don't know
0: in general it seems like they do put them at a little lower price than they do the um yeah. whatever the dead but, but it version. Isn't,
1: it isn't known yet. I mean what they're gonna charge what, what the market will bear.
0: Sure, sure. what's sure.
1: not known yet is is will the market bear that price? I don't know. Uh,
0: nobody knows. Yeah, I think that they're still in the early stages, definitely. I think they're going to find out that it's, um, you know, if they dropped it a little bit. And this same thing happened with music, you know, with the Amazon and the iTunes store and all that. You know, they finally zeroed in on a price that was sort of, you know, people could live with and, and that they found a sweet spot for what they would buy. I, I think I yeah. don't think they've quite gotten to that level. And maybe the iPad will add to that situation, too, with, with like you said, more people they're carrying around that and they don't have to. I, I mean, I have to admit, I, I, I carried your book back and forth to work every day with me. I mean, although I, if I would have had it on an iPad or a Kindle, I would have had to carry that back and forth, too. I just wouldn't have to swap it out for another one the next time I read another book, you know. But uh, it's, uh, you still kind of have to have something with you. So... Well, yeah, I think, though,
1: you know, these uh, handheld devices, things like uh, iPads are going to proliferate. Yes, and
0: yeah.
1: Five years from now, I'll uh, have one, you will know, have one, everyone, Everybody no has, one will be yeah. able to match not having anything. And they're going to have uh, a dozen different magazine subscriptions that way. And they're going to be glad they don't have to, you know, deal with, you know, recycling or shelving, uh,
0: you know, all those National
1: Geographics. or Oh, yeah. Or whatever.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh
1: <laughs> And that's going to creep into a lot of a lot of stuff, and uh, you know I think we're we're probably coming into an era in which uh, uh, simplicity is going to be the Um, You know we're going to make do with uh, you know smaller lots uh, of real estate and, and uh, not try to buy big mansions, and that's all consistent with uh, you know a place where there is isn't lots of room for bookshelves. Yeah, you know, it'll,
0: it'll look more like Japan. Yeah, you, know, you
1: have
0: a little bookshelf and there'll be a half dozen Kindles and all kinds <laughs> things like that. Yeah, and, I'm uh, kind of still... You remember the, uh, you, remember the uh, you remember the the TOS episode, Court Martial, and Kirk's lawyer? Oh, uh, Daniel,
1: Daniel P. Codley, yeah. Yes, yeah, and, and the whole
0: sweet. books, books, you know real books and everything i I, i'm still kind of a little old-fashioned when it comes to i i I still like a book in my hand sometimes and uh but but for you know other you know i I could see doing that maybe every 10th book i buy or whatever a real book and after that just electronic i mean it's uh but it is in the early stages but it's certainly heading that way there's no question and the speed is probably faster than anyone even really can guess right now i mean look how look how far uh you know, music has changed just in the last, say, five years, and music distribution and everything. So, it's right. the writing is on so, the wall. So, uh, well, Mike, just stay on the line for re, so, know, re, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Regardless of regardless of the the venue, uh, I mean, it's the,
0: as long as they're whether reading, whether, it's page,
1: whether it's pages of a dead tree edition or or uh, screen real estate, it's going to be about you know content providers providing content and getting paid for that.
0: Yeah, I'm just hoping you know that it gets more people reading too. I mean, I I think uh, that's always a that's not a bad thing at all, and and it's you know just having these. You know, I was at a Best Buy the other day, and uh, you know all these iPads that were sitting there. All these, I'd say on on the you know the average age of most of the people playing around with them was like you know 30 years old or less, for the most part, or so. I it's just the little gadgetry i think sort of appeals to them and you can slide in hey you know what you could you could read a book on that too you don't just have to visit you know you know websites and and videos and all that but you could actually read a book too on there and uh so you know maybe that's uh that that will hopefully get people maybe reading a little bit more than they have i don't i don't know
1: well yeah there's something to that i mean there's been there was some statistics i saw recently that uh overall Sales of uh, e-books have just uh, surpassed the sales of audiobooks.
0: Ah, okay.
1: That has to mean something.
0: Yeah, I've never been able to handle re- or audiobooks very well. I don't know. There's something about it that um, I I seem to be able to focus more on the written word. There's is probably really some kind of people that study brains and things like that. About you know, I'm more of a visual person. I don't know what that means, but. I try to listen to an audio. Well, it's
1: a it's a different yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely a different channel into the brain. Yeah, but it's it's ideal for you know people who are stuck in a car for a commute. Yeah, I uh,
0: uh, you know, I find when I'm in the in the car that what happens to me if I'm listening to a book like on my iPod in the car, I find what I I constantly am doing because I'm trying to you know obviously drive too, but. If I get distracted by driving, I shouldn't call it distracted, then I lose my spot, kind of, the book's still reading away, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and then I realize a few minutes later that I'm like, I have no idea what's what's going on, and I have to back it up, and you know, right. that kind of thing, where if I'm just listening to music, you don't really have to focus as much, so uh, yeah, it's just me, so hey, Mike, thanks very much. Just stay on, on the line for a second or two, but uh, I really appreciate you taking all this time to talk to me today about your book and other projects and uh it's it's great thanks very much thank you all right Big thanks to Michael A. Martin for joining me today on Trek Sin Sci-Fi. Go check out his book, Star Trek Online, The Needs of the Many. Next week I'll be back with a look at a Voyager episode titled Alice. I hope you join me. Bye.